0: Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, February 24th, 2023. Joining me for today's podcast are Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics. AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications, and we're also joined by Dwight Silverman, the veteran technology journalist for the Houston Chronicle. John Quayne and Rob Peguerrero are other assignments. I think one is in at MWC in Barcelona, and I where where, where is uh, John um, Stewart? Do you recall? He, he I, I don't email. remember from the email. He, said he was in a philosophy class, but you know, John. Yes, yes, he's <laughs> taking uh,
2: he's taking doctorate courses. Uh, as well as going for a master's in in two, uh, bioethics. I think one of them is, if I remember correctly. Yes. He's expanding his mind as he gets older, which I have <laughs> tremendous. Instead of the uh, usual hallucinogens.
1: Like <laughs> well, Dwight, I'm excited to have you on the call. We go back a long way. You know, we've been, yep. you know, um, uh, friends, I think since the early nineties uh, when I was at Compaq and uh, we've stayed in touch, a touch still, and I, um, still and I'm still and I'm, always enjoyed your columns and we're going to hit one. There's one topic we're going to hit right off the bat that I really want to get your insights on because we, you and I had some chatter on uh, social media about that. So mm-hmm. let me bring up the uh, first slide here. And that is the new Apple home pods. Are they worth its premium price? And uh, you know, I'll, I'll provide my opinion right after we pull you in and get your perspective on this. Sure.
0: Well, you know, the, the, the version of the HomePods that have just released are not all that different in terms of sound uh, from the original HomePods, which were uh, started out at $350, uh, were sold for a few years and then discontinued. And then Apple brought them back, something of a surprise, unless you were really paying attention to the the weeds of the rumor mill. But um, the new versions are $300 each, uh, and, um, that probably, if you're syncing up with high end, uh, smart speakers, um, that probably is not too far off the mark. I probably, I think they probably should be about $250 each,
2: mm-hmm. but,
0: um, one is not enough. And all, I almost think Apple is being disingenuous selling them individually because one sounds good and. Um, I don't know a lot of people who are going to buy one HomePod for use with like Siri and maybe, a, you know, as a Bluetooth speaker, because it doesn't work with anything other than right. your your iPhone. But if you have two, it is it is like an amazing experience. It's it's quite good. It probably rivals uh, sound bars and uh, speaker systems that run in the $500 to $600 range. But but one is just not enough. You know, Mark, you bought one, I think you got hold of one. And that's like that isn't the experience you need to have. Um, I've been using it both for listening as well as for uh, home theater Mm -hmm. and for home theater with an Apple TV 4K and that's what you have to use it with With home theater. uh, It is a really a stellar experience. There's um, what I, one of the things I really love is soundtracks that have kind of a low bass rumble in the music, and you feel it in the room. It's, uh, it's really fantastic, and, and um, I think two is worth it at, at the price. I, would, I wish they were 500 for two instead <laughs> of 600 but one for 300 I don't think is worth the price. I think it really is a two-speaker experience.
1: Yeah, my experience, and I have to be fair to Apple, is that, and I think you would you would violently agree with this, is that when it comes to buying smart speakers or just speakers for your your home, you know, you have to make a determination: are these for the entertainment center for your TV, are they for playing music, or are they are you using it with your productivity workstation like I am? And my chief complaint was not the quality; the quality was quite good. I did not use them in a pair, and I'll take your word for it. I'm sure they're, they're tremendous. My problem with them is that they don't have any, there's not a a direct line out. So if you, I I really just want, and I would have probably gladly uh, bought a pair had they had some type of line out feature or even some type of um, optical uh, connection. Because when I use a speaker, I use them for my Zoom calls and conference calls and you get a little bit of latency, you know? And and uh, it's be- actually better latency. Uh, it's reduced latency in comparison to the first generation because I think they're using a new processor in these new home pods, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yeah, they're but using I, one of their proprietary chips for. Chips, the connection, yeah. 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 So, in all fairness to Apple, you know, I mean, my problem is I was probably trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, that kind of thing, and uh, probably wasn't fair. Those, you know, but I will go back. You know, two hundred fifty dollars is a lot of money. You know, and especially if you buy them in a pair, only guys like you, Dwight, and Stuart, who makes big money, I mean, could afford that. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. about
0: the one thing about using it, you, that use case is probably not something that Apple intended. Correct. Um, Correct. And the, at the $300 price point, um, if, you know, if you're in a small apartment and you don't have the cash, to spend on a uh, you know on a full on a full pair it's probably um, a decent experience audio wise mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the problems i think when when we were doing the press uh, who people the reviewers who were doing this working with the home pods met with apple and, and in one of the conversations i asked the question about you know i, I use an apple tv 4k on a sony bravia um, uh, 4k tv and it uses the google tv interface which is a fine interface you know if you're not i'm i'm very invested in the apple ecosystem so i always use an apple tv 4k and i asked them if it was possible at all to use the home pods with another platform for tele for home home audio uh, home theater no you can't and so i think there's a very you know apple typically kind of niches out its hardware. Um, you know, you have to use it in their ecosystem and, and one of the interesting things I think that's coming in the future, and I'm going to write a second home pod column, uh, soon is that these are ma- now matter enabled. Yes. And the, um, the Apple TV 4k is matter enabled the second generation of the 4k. I mean, the third generation of the 4k, which is, um, uh, the newest one from 2022 also uses Thread, which is the uh, the, um, uh, the wireless protocol with right. Um But I think what Apple is doing is setting up the HomePods uh, as voice control for a growing ecosystem. Now that they'll be able to take advantage of any Matter-enabled smart home device.
1: So I think mm-hmm.
0: there's kind of a a Trojan horse to a certain extent in this in that I think the home pods will get more and more capabilities over time as they relate to matter
1: you know it's interesting Stuart uh, is that you know it, it was kind of surprising when Apple pull the um, opened up the kimono on these new home pods because the original home pods they pretty much said they were done in that big that large format uh, form factor and of course you know hey they didn't ask our, have to ask our permission they just changed their mind and said by the way we're coming out with this new version what are your thoughts on um, their home and, I, and I, I think Dwight makes a great point. My usage model is very narrow, you know and uh, there's other capable speakers that, that service that. But what's your perspective? Well, I have a couple of thoughts. The first thought is and I agree with Dwight. They probably
2: should have been sold in pairs because the way that they're marketing them at least is more of a sound device. Than as a smart speaker device. In other words, then the first generation of smart speakers was the smart stuff first. Oh, and also it's a good Bluetooth speaker. And I think the more the more recent. Uh, generations have been marketed as a speaker that also have smart capabilities in them, and so I think everybody's trying to carve out some space that Sonos has pretty much carved out for itself. When I got the Sonoses for review, they came as a pair. You could buy them separately, but you could also buy them as a pair, which is the way that you really need to get them. And like the the new HomePod, they're useless as an individual speaker. You need to get them as a pair. So I think. That's the first thing. And I think the reason that a lot of people are leaning in that direction is because you don't really need a smart speaker anymore. Um, my computer has, you know, I'm, I'm like Dwight. I'm in the Apple ecosystem and there's a button right at the top to activate Siri. Siri, she, her name, you know, I've disconnected all my standalone smart speakers cause they wake up by themselves, but you know, I can get Siri here and I can get Siri here you know, I mean, I don't need a smart speaker to to get the series. So if I wake up in the morning and I want to have the shades go up, I can, you know, talk, talk to my... So the needs for a... Because smart speaker technology or voice control technology is beginning to appear in so many other places, the need for a standalone smart speaker is now resting almost solely upon its audio capabilities. So I'm with Dwight. I'm very surprised that they are not marketing this, Apple's not marketing this much heavier as a, as an Apple Sonos competitor. The Sonos obviously can, well, not obviously, maybe people don't know, can be, um, are both Google and Alexa oriented. And now that Matter Matters, and and that walled garden doesn't matter anymore. I think that's more of a reason why Apple should be trying to promote these as an audio device, for uh, first as an audio device, and then as a smart speaker as opposed to the other way around.
1: Well, and, and I think those are all good points. <coughs> and I want to, we got to move to the next topic. But the one thing I would point out, though, and you'll validate this for me. One of my frustrations that now it's coming back to memory is I have the original HomePod upstairs you cannot use the original home pod and the new home pod in a paired right. configuration so that kind of was you know there's obviously a technical reason for that maybe the right. performance has to be equal in each one and that's probably the reason why you can't but that was not a, i was not pleased when i when i learned that so that was well, my not wondering. only
0: can you not do that but you know the
1: HomePod mini yes uh, which, which was, was introduced
0: better. you know just before they killed off the large home pod won't sync up with the uh, the new HomePod. So you can't, like, for example, I got excited about the idea of having, you know, on either side of my TV, these two big HomePods, and then on the tables next to my, either side of my couch, oh, having a HomePod mini and essentially having like real surround sound. No, right. can't do it, can't do it yet, yeah. yet, but you might be able to do it in the future. And that's the nice thing about all of these, that Apple can update them, you know, and and bring new capabilities to. them.
1: Let us bring the next topic up here, and we'll bring this right up here. This is going to be a fun one, Uh, (laughs) and I I think this is an accurate statement. I mean, ever since ChatGPT uh, came out, there seems to be this incredible – it's almost like a gold rush type of thing. Everybody wants to put AI in their solutions. Everybody wants to incorporate ChatGPT into their their products – uh into their solutions and i we've got to talk about some of the risks here because you know uh, you know I, I will say something a bit um a bit humorous is that you know, i wonder as you know as professional journalists are you guys concerned that chat gbt could put you guys out of business <laughs> i know that sounds like a silly statement but you know that i think there are people asking that question so but let's let's start with you dwight on the whole chat gbt topic because i am I know you played <laughs> with it.
0: Well, you know, um, what's interesting is that AI has already been used um, in this way. Uh, The Associated Press has been using uh, AI to do one of the most uh, tedious jobs that any business writer faces, and that's writing uh, basic earnings uh, stories. Right. And they essentially feed the earnings press release into their AI, and the AI generates a story. An editor cleans it up, and it goes out. Um, And of course, CNET was caught. Uh, using AI to write stories, and and the AI, as is typical of chat GPT, was inserting errors and what's called hallucinating in in this instance. Um, So I'm not, at the moment, I'm not worried about that. The one thing I think it has the potential to do, and this is also true, I think, with education, there's a lot of worry about students using it to cheat, Um, but I think it can make journalists work better, I've been using it to, like if I want to do some background in a column, I'll go to chat GPT and I'll give it a prompt that will say, let's say, you know, talk about uh, the history of Apple's smart speakers. And it'll write kind of this generic story, but what it tends to do, because it has this information in its training, in most cases, that's it's accurate, I check everything. But I make it gives me an opportunity to make sure I include everything and I don't forget something when I'm doing background. I throw that away, but it essentially becomes an index, like an outline for the things that I want to do. That saves me a lot of time. Right. Um, I would never copy and paste that into place, but it's it, it's it's one way I think that journalists' work can improve using that kind of.
1: But, but Stuart, I want to get back to the one of the points that that Dwight made. I wish I had chat GBT when I was back in college. You know, I had to go to a library, perhaps <laughs> library at Boston College where I went to school, and you know, you know the drill because you guys are in my the same age ballpark that i am uh, I'm in. And I, it doesn't bother me that the that students would leverage the tool because I think that if the tool could be leveraged and they and you were forced to read through the copy, to make sure that you validate all the data that comes through that should be obvious that could be a good thing but and now you could argue too that and by the way chat gpt does some of this is that if you do a cut, try to do a cut and paste there can be signature tools that can be put in place so a, so, a, so a professor knows whether so someone did that and they didn't do their homework in terms of, of managing the content there's also an issue of you know, if you ask the identical question on different um, sessions, will you get an identical answer? You know, that, that can vary depending on how what algorithms are being updated. But what's your perspective in terms of just using that and some of the, um, the practicality issues that come into play?
2: Well, I agree with you on the educational side. As long as it's used as an educational tool, I mean, I played with it a little myself and I was amused by its answer to my question about whether or not it was sentient or not. Of course, it said it was not, but wouldn't that what a sentient being would say if it didn't want you to know that it was sentient. Um, My major concern about this is is all part of the larger topic of digital fake. Um, It's the deep fakes, it's digital image um, manipulation, anything that it can be done in the digital domain that is designed to replicate what real people do in real life. And I think it. this all fits into that much larger issue. For instance, there's a huge problem in the art world and the graphics world of AI machines churning out illustrations in the styles of particular artists. And those artists are actually being financially impacted because publications or book publishers who need an illustration in the style of an artist simply feed that information, they get an illustration without having to pay the artist who originated the style to begin with. So there's, I think a much larger problem of passing off digital AI generated uh, content of any sort as real life content. What needs to be done is some sort of overarching watermarking system, whether it's a self-regulating within the industry or something that legislatures have to get involved in. But I think we're going to have to start looking at it some way of watermarking digitally generated content of any kind. So the person looking at it knows whether or not a machine generated this or a human being generated it. And as the processing power increases, which it will. And as the usage increases, and as the, um, shall we say, the negative usage of it increases, and of course, it will, this will be put to very bad usages. It just will, because that's how the history of technology rolls. Every time you come out with a technology that is, you know, for the good, ends up being misused by somebody. So I think that we like in all things we should be acting proactively to make sure that we have these sort of negative outcomes covered. It will wait till something really awful happens before anybody takes any real action.
1: Well, and Dwight, I think uh, Stuart's got a good point here and I I suspect that you agree, but there should be some type of code of conduct that people have, that, you know, companies have to agree to. So you know whether there is a computer behind the scenes in terms of generating this content, um, going to be tough. I thir- certainly think news publications should do that, you know, and to, to the point you made earlier in terms of, you know, those really dry, you know, kind of rinse and repeat activities, like repeating, uh, you know, generating content around earnings announcements. Sure. That's probably something that's pretty easy because it's very qualitative, quantitative and that can be uh, fairly easily done. But are, do you think there should be some type of code of conduct thing that people should, uh, that companies should sign up to to make sure that they're disclosing um where the content's coming from um i think that uh, to
0: a certain extent if uh journalism organizations do this already this is this is in there you know they want to credit the source of everything so if, if something comes from uh nai typically instead uh one of the one of the most interesting uh uses i've seen of it uh casey newton's platformer newsletter he has started using AI-generated art at the top of every newsletter. You know, it's, a, it's an illustration. It's not intended to be like a real-life image, and he credits it. And uh, and I've, I'm not sure he's doing this, but for a while, he was actually putting the prompt. What the prompt was that generated that image? Um, I'm real interested in that. I would love to see kind of disclosure on the prompt that is used to generate these things. Um, and, and what's actually has has started happening in the art world is that the ability to write a prompt that gets what you want has become an art form in itself. Um, there is uh, there are uh, people who will now teach you how to write a good A.I. prompt. So, you know, it, it's already like spinning off new niches for jobs and consultants. Um, you will have good and you will have bad. That happens with everything in society, not just technology. That every development, you know, the invention of the automobile takes you from point A to point B but uh, quickly, but it pollutes the environment and it causes a lot of deaths every year. That's just, that's the payoff, right? Right, and I think that that is, um, you yeah. know, that, that's what's gonna happen with this. You will, there already are lawsuits involving uh, the artists that you were talking about uh, apple announced that it was doing uh, audiobooks with ai voices and essentially it's the same voices with siri and they are training the ai on on fiction and nonfiction, and uh, authors are up at arms because there was no consent well actually that's not true there was a uh, uh, one particular publisher had in their contract with the author that their work could be used to train AIs. And it's kind of like buried down in there. These authors are very upset about that. So I think that you'll have a lot of litigation. Uh, I suspect litigation will move faster than legislation because, you know, that's usually how it works. But eventually regulation will happen.
1: Yeah, and we again, we've got to move to the next topic, but this has been a bone of contention that Stuart has brought up many, many times. It just seems that good old Washington God bless our legisl- legislator, legislators on both sides of the aisle. They just don't have a techno- technological bent. Their staffs might because they're all twenty-five, but you know when you when I hear these hearings and oh, my head. Wants and so the Supreme broken. Court on the section. Yeah, you know, well, at, at least they, they are openly admitting yeah.
2: they have no background in, to make any decision on this.
1: No. And, but at least they're acknowledging that publicly, right. which I got to give them credit for. Right. And I am sure we will talk about this issue once again, but let me bring up the uh, next topic here for us to tackle. Now, um, I, you know, Dwight, maybe Stu and I will talk about this for the most part, but I think you'll be able to chime in on this, is that Intel just launched an app called Unison that the dream of this app is to create a comparable window exp- uh, Windows experience, uh, an, an Apple ecosystem experience with Windows PCs, primarily focused on bridging that gap that's existed for years with text messaging as uh, maybe some people don't know this, but if you've got a windows PC, there are no apps that allow you to natively, you know, run an Apple iMessages capability. So I can type text messages from my desktop PC or from my portable, which by the way is the one feature that keeps me in the Apple ecosystem. Even though windows PCs tend to be more and more affordable and we can talk about performance on and off. But, you know, most of the applications on Windows and Mac OS are, are um, available on the side. But Apple just will not relinquish that. They just came out with this Intel Unison app, which I, you know, uh, actually, uh, I really it wasn't really a review, but it, I provided some commentary on Tech News World uh, early in the week. And it's, you know, a work in progress to say the best. You know, it does kind of, uh, it does allow you to send text messages once you, you know, pair your phone with it, but it's got some really interesting, you know, side effects. If I close the app, I lose all the text messages. It only, in fact, you can't even delete a text message. Once you send it, it's got a lot of compromises. So it's kind of a half step forward, but, you know, let me start with Stuart. I, I, I guess the question is, do you ever think Apple will really open up the kimono because they're really the company that really has to allow Microsoft really, uh, really Microsoft, although Intel is the, the the company that we're talking about here, is they really have to provide the AI API support so you could have a really robust experience. It can be done. It's just a business decision that Apple has made to keep people in the ecosystem. Stuart, so what are your thoughts on this?
2: There's no reason for Apple to change their stance on this. I mean, I've, I've been thinking about this in context of matter. And I think that Apple had to, quote, unquote, open up its kimono on Matter the same way that Google and Alexa did, simply because the smart home market was getting to the point where nobody was getting anywhere, simply because of all these walled gardens. In the world of computing, it's the, the evolution of the ecosystems has been completely different than it has been on the smart home. Um, so you have Android, you have iOS, and you have Windows, Which are these three major dominating um architectures that have each grown up in their own ecosystems developed their own ecosystems developed completely separately but unlike the smart home market the the pc and phone world even though sales have dipped considerably in the cell phone the use of the operating systems have not dimmed in 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 plot in fact it's the operating systems and their their walled garden nature that are keeping some of the hardware players in in business, um, it is. I don't see how it's to Androids, Apple's, or even Windows' benefits to open up their ecosystems to the other players the way the smart home systems have with Alexa, Google, and Siri, because their hardware is just too tied into it. Where on the smart home side, you don't have that eco, you don't have that one to one hardware uh, operating system. Um, relationship as you do in the computer and the cell phone business, which are much larger by you know by huge factors than the smart home business. So I I don't see them op- any of the big three opening up their kimono, which is why Intel is doing it. Notice it's Intel, it's not Microsoft, it's not Android or Google, and it's not Apple. It's a third party inter- intervening, and the only reason obviously that they can is because they're such a big chip maker and perhaps intel is even doing it to sort of bolster its its chip business which has undergone quite a bit of competition uh over the years especially since they lost apple um as a customer so i can't see a world that where where anybody would open them up because it would too endanger um, those ecosystems are just too critical right. to their advantages on the hardware side
1: no i i think you're right uh stewart and, and dwight i guess the the, the... I'd like to get your two cents on this because you are an, an Apple ecosystem type of guy, but you've you know you've obviously have lots of experience on the Windows side as well. You know, I just think that once you start typing a text message on your desktop or in your portable with a real keyboard, not to say you know people some people like touchscreens and they can manage with that, but I find I'm much more productive with a keyboard. And when I show that to people, saying, "Hey, here's a Mac," if you've never used a MacBook before, and there are there are a lot of people out there that have never used a Mac or they're Windows folks and their eyes open up saying this is a wonderful experience to be able to use a real keyboard you think that's a big enough feature for people you know to to, to switch or do you think that to to stewart's um point you think that hey you know what apple doesn't really have any reason because you know their their market share is only in that 15 20 percent range with macbooks although it has been growing larger microsoft is still the you know the, the line share player from an operating system standpoint and you know what's your thoughts um you know I, I read your your
0: analysis on uh on this product and um and i agree with a lot of it i mean you you talk in it about the fact that players like dell uh have uh have created kind of their own version of this to, to yes. greater or lesser extent um one of the other thing that's interesting is that uh smartphone op smartphone uh, companies like particularly Samsung. When you uh, set up a new Samsung device, I'm just uh, reviewing the uh, Galaxy S23 Ultra. And when you set it up, it invites you to link your PC or your Mac to the phone. Um, so they're kind of working at it you know, piecemeal. Um, and there are plenty of third-party Windows apps that let you text let you type into uh, a text message, connect to your phone and type to it. But there's nothing that kind of unifies all of it. You know, you don't get anything like like on a Mac, I can take uh, find something that I am interested in uh, on my phone and copy it and then paste it into a document on my Mac. You know, and it's seamless. It just happens. And there's nothing like that. If, If Intel can do something like that, that works across all of the platforms. That would be that would be pretty spectacular.
1: But you know, it's interesting. You know, uh, Stewart brought up the, uh, the Dell. The Dell solution and the Intel solution are based uh, on Screenovate, which is an Israeli company that Intel had to acquire. So it's not Intel technology. It's a third party company. that. Uh, they Mar- the,
2: the, the, yeah. Referring to what Dwight said, for instance, <clears throat> if you are on a text stream, a, a text conversation on an iPhone and you want to take yourself out of it, you can only delete yourself from a group text if everybody is on an iPhone. Or an right. iOS device. If any, if there are any green bubbles in your group text read, you cannot delete yourself from it.
1: Yes. So that
2: you know that might be one area where they may be able, the ecosystems may be able to come together just for that one function, because that would be in Apple's interest. But sent, but opening their kimono, as you put it, to allow other people into their OS to do certain things, I just can't see the advantages of it for Apple, their primary sales uh, tool.
1: No, I don't see that either. I mean, we, we want, I wanna to move to our last topic, but the only thing I can think of is that if um, Microsoft and Intel went to Apple and says, we're gonna give you the deal of the century and we're gonna pay you some type of royalty. So you're gonna make so much money because of our volume um, on Windows that uh, it probably could be a business. You could. I could see Apple say, well, you know, the business upside from a revenue standpoint is so significant. I doubt you know margins are so slim right so now. So in I other words, you're thinking view.
2: that Intel should bribe Apple.
1: Uh that's a word that you're using.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and market
1: that will never happen. I know it will never happen. But yes. I hey listen, you know, I could also say the Mets are never gonna win the, will never win the World Series, but I know that would offend <laughs> uh, that would offend Stewart. Let me hit the let's hit the last topic here. This will be a fun one too. Um uh, President Biden, good old President Biden. He's upholding this uh, Apple Watch band. It looks like, and uh, you know, I have my own opinions about that, uh, Stuart, This was a topic that you wanted to discuss, so I'm going to let you kind of opine on that. And get your uh, your get your view.
2: Well, first of all, I don't think President Biden even looked at this, and if he did, he had no idea what he was looking. No, at. that's um, not. True. I mean, that's I mean, true. this is this is simply a policy move because this is something from the I think the ITC. And so I think this is a pure political thing. I don't think this has anything to do with placating or angering Tim Cook or interfering with patent suits. I think this is purely an international political foreign policy um, move um, more than anything else. The the second part, I, I think it's getting a lot more headlines than is probably warranted, which is why I wanted to bring it up, because I think it is one of those things that the press likes to blow up, but actually doesn't mean anything wow. more than, more than likely how this is going to play out is that aircore the, the company in question is aircore and apparently they came up with an ecg an electrocardiogram technology that has been used in apple watches since the series 4 yes. and so they sued apple for apple uh, for patent infringement because apple apparently had looked at what aircore had been doing and knew what they were doing so it it looks like just to my you know, um, just to my eyes, and the way that I've read this thing, it looks like, yeah, that Apple may have fudged things a little bit. Usually, right. what Apple does is what you mentioned that Intel did, they buy the company to buy the technology. Yeah. And I think and that's what, the, they, by the way, they they that's what they say. The it's
1: ultimately this is what may actually happen is that,
2: right? Sort of, it's a I, air I, core of very small. Aircore is a very small company and more than likely Apple will come to some sort of licensing agreement with us and this whole thing will wash away. Right, but this way. happens this but the fact that the president's name on it Um, and and that he's even involved in this has, I think, blown this story more out of proportion than it probably needs to be. Nobody is going to not be able to buy an Apple Watch. What will happen is the two companies will come together, the lawyers will figure something out, and all of this will be forgotten in in a couple of weeks if it's not forgotten already. It's just that it it got played up in the media so much that I just felt it just, it's, it's a It's much ado about nothing. Essentially, this is patent infringement. Two companies coming together, figuring out how to not infringe anymore. Somebody getting paid off. Tuesday, in the tech industry.
1: So Dwight, your thoughts? Is this kind of all about all about uh, all do about nothing? Well, yes,
2: and
0: you know the reason why Biden is involved is because the structure of the government is such. That the office of the president is the final arbiter on an itc decision so it could be you know any president sitting there at the moment at the time and um and you know he looks at recommendations from staff and he looks you know there there have been legal you know, there have been legal rulings on this from the ITC and the itc has kind of held firm on it and it could be that the air corps is correct right. and so I agree. I think what will what'll ultimately happen, rather than Apple um, uh, saying it can't sell uh, the Apple Watch in the United States anymore. That's that's ridiculous. Um, they will pay off AirCore, but it's also possible that there will be uh, in future Apple Watches a different system for doing this. There'll be a different uh, technology. It'll look the same to the to the user, but um, you know, the, no, the hardware has, and the software. a great
1: point, right? Apple has done that over and over again is that if there's an infring- they either buy the company, you use the phrase payoff. Right. <laughs> but, they, you know, but normally what will happen is, is that, you know, again, I can I don't know what the number might be to to um make these guys go away, but it's not it's not gonna be a big number relative to the cash that Apple has, you know, kind of uh, stored away here. But uh, yeah, I I suspect this is all about nothing, you know, to use an old Jerry Seinfeld phrase. But Guys, that's all the time we have today. Let me just bring up uh, some information here. Thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast, or use these on-screen QR codes to connect with me. You can also follow me on Twitter, at MarkVenaTechGuys. Thanks, guys, and until next time, have a great week.